Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series, and welcome to the first episode of the Colorado Women's Chamber of Commerce podcast powered by Brownstein's Women's Leadership Initiative. Brownstein shareholder and CWCC board member Sarah Mercer hosts CWCC president and CEO Kristen Blessman for a discussion about what they're doing to help women-owned businesses grow over the million-dollar mark, what companies can do to help advance women in the business community, and upcoming CWCC events. I'm Sarah Mercer, a partner at Brownstein and a member of the Colorado Women's Chamber Board. And today I am joined by Kristen Blessman, the Chamber's President and CEO, to talk about the Chamber and its ambition to make Colorado the number one state for advancing women in business. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. You know, I thought a great spot for us to begin would be to talk a little bit about who the Colorado Women's Chamber of Commerce is, maybe kind of when it was started, why, who are its members? So the Colorado Women's Chamber of Commerce is one of the oldest and largest women's chambers in the nation. We have roughly 430 company members and 1,400 actively engaged members, so we're a really large and powerful women's chamber. But when you think about the need for women's chambers 30 years ago when we started, it's very different than the needs of women today. And so we've evolved to meet the needs of, you know, both women-owned businesses and women in corporations. 30 years ago, women were owning and operating very different types of businesses than they are today. They were what's known as hobby businesses. And when you think about it, in the 80s, we were just starting to outpace men as far as graduating from college and just entering in those non-traditional careers for women, like finance and, and law, for example. So nowadays, we're serving women very differently than we did 30 years ago. Yeah, and certainly, you know, the statistics are showing that women and men are graduating in equal rates uh, in college and in advanced degrees as well. So can you talk specifically about, especially those women-owned businesses, Mm -hmm. how have their needs changed? You know, again, back in the 80s, we were still, you know, operating hobby businesses to bring home some extra income or to still be able to raise the family and operate a business. And it was very different than what we're doing today. We're starting different types of businesses, products, as well as services. And but we still aren't growing at the rate that we should be. And we're not growing as fast as male owned businesses. So less than 1% of women owned businesses in Colorado. Colorado actually get over a million dollars in revenue, and it's less than 2% nationally. So where the Women's Chamber steps in to, to serve those organizations is to really try and give them the resources to grow and to grow over that million dollar mark. And we feel like that's really important because we make more of an economic impact when we do that. Yeah, and on the board, we've had lots of conversation about creating that ecosystem of education, resources, and a network for women-owned businesses to be able to grow their business kind of into that next phase. And uh, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about a couple of the limiting factors that you see for those businesses. You mentioned one, which is, you know, transitioning that mindset from these hobby businesses into being a a business that is a business for business sake. Um, Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I can. And in fact, we surveyed our members and we asked them what the top three things were that were holding women back from growth. And that's either in a corporation or if they have a business. And number one was um, corporate culture and unconscious bias. 
number two was communication, and number three was lack of mentorship and sponsorship at the top. So really what that looks like for women-owned businesses is there's still some unconscious bias and culture that we're dealing with when it comes to funding. They actually did a study where women and men read a pitch of a business that was the exact same business, and the men got the funding 99% of the time, and the women got the funding 1% of the time. So that speaks to the fact that there is still some bias out there with, you know, well, will this business be successful if there's a woman running it? Number two is communication, and, and that's where the limiting factors come in, right? And it's how we communicate to ourselves. Well, no, I'm not sure. Like if I if my company gets really big like that, will I still be able to manage all the other areas of my life? Will I be able to spend time with my family or care for my kids or be there for my husband? And so the thought is that if we grow over that million and then then things are just going to take off and be too crazy. When in fact, the research shows that the bigger you get, the more resources you have. So it's really important to begin to explain and, and show women that actually know how you get there is this. And once you get over that hump, you actually have a lot more resources to help you out and a lot more flexibility at that level. And then again, the way that we do that is we bring mentors and sponsors that are women-owned business that have gotten over that million dollar mark to show them how to do it. So we feel like our programs are really going to address, one, that lack of funding, right? So how do we get those women-owned businesses the funding that they need in order to grow? And number two, how can we help them overcome some of those limiting beliefs and give them the ability to get the expertise that they need in order to grow their business? Because none of us are perfect and we can't do everything, even though we want to as women. And being able to see the road is really important because, you know, going to that internal communication, that dialogue of, you know, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know what that looks like. But being able to see, oh, those are the steps that I would need to take. Mm -hmm. And this is what it looks like if I start to walk down that road. You That really can help to change an sure. internal communication, you know, sort of internal dialogue and mindset from that fixed mindset into a mm -hmm. growth mindset where a woman business owner might think at first, oh, I don't want to grow, but then see the steps and say, well, actually, maybe I do want to start thinking about growth. Right. It's important for women at every level, whether you're in a corporation or you're a woman-owned business, for us to see other women specifically modeling it because we do it differently. We lead differently. We own businesses differently. So it's critical that we see other female mentors doing that. It's important to have male mentors as well, but really critical to have female mentors. We have a group that we host at the Women's Chamber. It's called our CEO Forum. And it's specifically for women-owned businesses that are right at that million-dollar mark or just over. And the idea behind that is we bring speakers in that are women, that are CEOs, and they talk about how they grew their business. One example is Krista Morgan with P2B Investor. She's really going gangbusters on her business, and she's well above the million-dollar mark. She's raised seed funding for her organization. She came in and talked to our CEOs about how she did it. And I saw their faces, and I could see them really struggling with some of the things that she was saying because how she did it was she has a personal assistant. She has a COO, right? She has all of this support around her so that she can do what she's really good at and what she's best at, which is out there raising funds and um, working with customers. So the more that we feel like we do that and we show them other female leaders, we feel like that'll really help move the needle. And the chamber has opportunities for other members who aren't at that CEO level. Can you talk a little about the Powerful Voices yeah, series? Absolutely. It's just such a great opportunity mm -hmm. for members to hear 
from women. Again, talking about how sort of women lead differently. And, and, and I think that this has value for men, too. The Powerful Voices Conversation Series is an opportunity for very high-level female leaders, CEOs of large organizations, C-suite, with an interesting and important story to share. And that's why it's called the Powerful Voices Conversation Series, because we encourage the women that are speaking to open up about the good, bad, and the ugly that they experienced along their path to growth and where they came from. We find that women in that vulnerable state and sharing their stories really inspires other women to say, oh, well, she experienced that and she was able to grow. So if I could do that too, right? And it's actually, that was one of the reasons why I grew into the CEO level. I saw um, former Lieutenant Governor Donna Lynn speak at an event and I had always been kind of thinking like, okay, where am I going to grow? What am I going to do? And she was speaking, she was the CEO of Kaiser at the time. And she shared her story of how she was a single mother with three kids working in New York City and how she managed it all. And I thought, wow, well, that's interesting. I mean, she's a CEO of a really big organization, and she was able to do that all while being a single mother and and managing everything. And I was dealing with the same thing. So I thought, well, if she can do it, I can do it. So I actually wound up walking up to her and asking her if she'd mentor me. And she did. And she's the reason why I am where I am. And so creating that that kind of network of support, those resources and those stories, I mean, it really can make such a difference to each individual, well, it who, and, it, and it certainly does. I mean, don't you think so, Sarah? Don't you think that when you see a really, a, a woman that you admire, or a really powerful woman that you think, oh my gosh, they're so amazing, I'm nothing like them, and when you bring it down to the human level, doesn't that inspire you? Doesn't it make you want to do more or believe that you can because you saw somebody else doing it that had struggles? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's really how we grow as individuals in all areas of our life. You start to, you know, if you see an example of something and it feels so far out of reach, but then, like you said, you bring that down to the more personal level, you really start to see that you could do that too. And you also, in in having those more intimate conversations, you're able to understand the how. I I sort of analogize it to... um, like how you tie a bow tie. It feels like if you've ever watched any YouTube videos of how to tie a bow tie, it's like it's like you can follow all the steps and like there's this one magic moment where all of a sudden this like knot becomes a bow tie. And it's like what happens in that moment where that magic happens? Mm-hmm. And that's really what it is to grow in your career and to become a CEO or to become sort of that higher level of professional right. that you're looking to be a partner in a law firm. Mm-hmm. It feels like it happens um, slowly and step by step and then all of a sudden, suddenly. Yeah. And if as, as soon as you can start seeing that in yourself and seeing that, you know, mm-hmm. when you see it in other people, you really can start seeing that in yourself. That's such a cool analogy, too, because I remember as I've grown in my career, and I don't know if you ever experienced this as well, where, you know, we tell ourselves, well, I don't have you know, really good experience, or I feel like an imposter, or I don't really belong here. And something comes out of your mouth and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. I actually kind of know what I'm talking about. Wow. I didn't know that I knew what I was talking about. I didn't know that I actually possessed the skills to do it. And I would imagine once you get the bow tie tied, you're like, oh my gosh, wait a minute. I know this. I've practiced it enough. I got this. Yeah. I think that's, that's such a great point, I've looked back on things that um, I've written, say, in the past, and Mm -hmm. reading it, it almost feels like it's a different person because I was able to speak with such authority that then the authority that I thought maybe I was pretending to have, I had a realization that I actually do have that authority, whether it was command over, you know, an area of law or more 
that more sort of soft, kind of squishy leadership type authority. Yeah. And you start to see that in yourself and then you start to believe it. And there is a, a thing of just being something before you actually are mm-hmm. um, or before you realize you are. Um, so that those are two, I think, really powerful um, programs that the chamber has. Yeah, I do too. And I think, you know, one of the things where I feel like, you know, having peer groups of women that support you, there was a study done and I'm trying to remember, maybe it was, I think Dove did this study and they brought women and their colleagues and friends in and they put them all in a room together and they actually hired a police sketch artist and they had the woman describe herself and the police artist sketched how they saw themselves. And then they brought other women in, their colleagues and friends, and asked them to describe that woman as well. And when you look at the two pictures side by side, it doesn't even look like the same person, right? Like the friends and the colleagues described her as this beautiful, gorgeous being, and she explained herself as like plain. And and it occurred to me that we possess all of these skills naturally, right? We know how to lift other women up. We know how to make them feel better about themselves. I still think that we need to refine that a little in the workplace, but the way that I see you, right? And perhaps the way that you see me, I'm like, you got this. You are so incredible. Everything that comes out of your mouth. I mean, oh my gosh, you graduated from Harvard. You're incredible, right? But yet we don't always possess those skills to do that for ourselves. And so that's why I think just in general, why the women's chamber is so important because we need that kind of feedback specifically at work, like we do in life. So one thing that occurs to me is what we've been talking a lot about is what I think has been known and has sort of come into the social consciousness and kind of our lexicon as this idea of leaning in. Mm -hmm. So more women leaning in and really having developing an understanding and a really conscious awareness of all these factors that might play into how they're showing up in job interviews, showing up in annual reviews for, for promotions or going after uh, a pay raise, for example. But, you know, just, it was either last week or the week before there was an, an op-ed in the New York times about let's, really the thrust of it was let's stop focusing so much on asking women to lean in and focusing more on asking others to lean out. And it feels like we're at a little bit of a tipping point of, all right, right, as women, we've got this, we sort of got it. Like Mm -hmm. the leaning in, we got it, we own it. We want to create structures and opportunities and education so that we can help, help ourselves. Right. But it also seems like that has shown a little bit of a spotlight on the organizations and the mm-hmm. institutions that may also need to be yes. making some changes. Right. And from your perspective, what does that look like? I hear that a lot. I think that there's been a lot of comments on, well, as women, you need to do this and you need to apply for the job even though you don't think you're qualified and you need to ask for the pay raise even though you're not accustomed to doing that. And and I think the idea of, you know, the systems needing to bend a little bit and, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? So the business systems that exist today are the ones that were created hundreds of years ago when it was just men in the workplace. And so I think that I've heard that a lot at conferences where it's like, okay, we have all these suggestions for women to do. Now companies need to to do some things as well. And I think, you know, I mean, obviously we have, you know, 400 and, you know, some companies that have signed up to the women's chamber because they're completely on board to try and change their system. They just don't know how. 
And so I believe that it's our job to convene our members, to give them the tools for how to change it and what that looks like, because no one has the answer yet. And the chamber recognizes those companies. I mean, we've got our our event next week. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's really exciting. And thank you so much to Brownstein for supporting the event. We have our Champions of Change event coming up. And the idea behind that event is to shine a spotlight on organizations for their innovative practices in the promotion and advancement of women. And it's important to do that, right? It's important to show our community what organizations are doing the right things, but it's also important to show them specifically what they are doing because there's an opportunity to learn from one another. And truthfully, when I look at all the award winners, they're all doing something completely different which when you put it all together really tends to work well. And so that event is important on so many levels. And so we hope that companies come there, yes, to congratulate the organizations that are winning, but also to come and learn. That's really fantastic. And, you know, when we think about those systematic changes, you know, certainly businesses changing and thinking about how to better incorporate or uh, integrate the women who are in their workforce um, mm-hmm. is, is one sort of important component of that. But it's not the only component because, you know, as we've seen, uh, we're seeing companies really more than ever move towards more gender neutral policies. Right. So that includes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, paternity policies, yeah. which before were just maternity policies, mm-hmm. but now the encouragement of, uh, you know, and the allowance of having fathers and mothers being able yeah. to take off time to be with a newborn baby. And that is, you know, one area where I think sometimes the conversation can get to a place of, you know, why are we making all of these changes just for right. women? Whereas mm-hmm. some of those changes, when it's really that gender neutral change, really can help to change those cultures. Oh, absolutely. It w- it's so interesting that you bring that up. I was at an event last week that was put on by Catalyst and Bank of America and the market president of Bank of America said, you know, sometimes I struggle. And he, he gave an example of when he was coaching his daughter's, I believe it was soccer team. And he was told that for every um, constructive criticism that you need to give the young girls, you also need to compliment them. And he said, but I don't want to offend girls by saying that, but that's what I've been told. And I said, you know, it's interesting that we think that way, because I think that that would also work for young boys as well. The system changes when you do that. It's not like boys don't want compliments, you know, oh, don't compliment me. I don't want that. That's just not true. And I think some of the driving forces that are happening and the changes in the workplace that are occurring because women are asking for these things, well, men want them too. They just weren't in a system that supported it. So I think that the whole gender neutral thing makes a lot of sense. But when you're trying to create change and you're trying to change the system, I do think that you need to pay attention to a little bit of the research when you're looking at, okay, if I'm going to make these systematic changes, what does the research show, you know, women want, right? Because I do think that we're still horribly underrepresented and you do need to look a little bit at the research. And that unconscious bias really is a very real thing. Um, Do you have any statistics or any information that you can share about the unconscious bias and how that comes into play? You know, the only statistic that I've ever heard was that 99% of funding, right? Because I think that organizations are hesitant to measure and share that data. 
And I think that that's an issue, too. We have got to stop shaming organizations and men for bias and just say, you know what? It exists. The whole, you know, the Me Too movement, while I think it was critical because there was a few bad eggs, I think that there's also a downside of it. And I think that men are very fearful now in a way that they haven't been in the past. And I think that hopefully what the Me Too movement has done has empowered women to say something when things occur. But I also hope that that then encourages men to to lean in more to have relationships with women so that we feel comfortable enough. Some of the research that I've heard is that men are now more fearful and they won't meet with women one-on-one and they want to have their door open or they won't go have happy hour drinks with a woman if she's by herself. And those things hurt us. We need to have relationships with men in order to grow. If men are still at the top, we need to have relationships with them in order to get there. So I'm hoping that as a result of that, you know, bias can continue to diminish because we feel more comfortable saying something. It's such an interesting uh, conundrum because unconscious bias against a particular group, so in this instance, unconscious biases against women, are prevalent not only in men, but are also prevalent yeah, in women. We so have them we, too. we need to bring this out in the open mm-hmm. and talk about it because really the only way to address it is not to keep it sort of shoved down or in a dark yeah. place, but is really to just bring it out into the open so that you can use strategies sure. to deal with it. I remember being in a, a an educational session about unconscious bias, and one example that was given was um, if you're in your office, say, and you're preparing and you're thinking about a sort of end-of-the-year review and you're thinking about who was who were our top perform who were my top performers thinking about maybe giving a bonus or something or a promotion who are my top performers because of those unconscious biases the top performers who come up are going to be those individuals who meet those those sort of those biases that you have mm-hmm. so in many cases that may be the men may be the ones who just come to mind more quickly and one strategy to deal with that is not to beat yourself up about it or to feel bad about it but is just to bring out a list of everybody and to consider each person individually. So you just, so that you're not just relying on your subconscious or unconscious mind to recall who might be your top performers, but instead you're bringing out the entire group to look at the list. You may come up with the same people, but you're just at, at least, you know, you're giving consideration to everyone. And that's a really easy thing to do. But if we keep sort of these ideas around of of shame or embarrassment or Mm -hmm. whatever around these unconscious biases, or if we just want to continue to deny it, that we have them, we're just never going to. No. and, And they do exist. And it's interesting that you say that women have them too. We had a roundtable discussion of members, and we talked about the idea of, you know, you talk about women leaning in and, you know, asking for the raise and negotiating for a better salary. And we talked about the idea that if women are hard on themselves, right, if we don't perceive that we deserve the salary or that we have the expertise to do the job, and when, in fact, a lot of leadership in HR is women, we are also going to be hard on women, Right, just naturally. If we have if we feel that way about ourselves, we're obviously going to feel that way about another woman. And it's something important to ask ourselves. If we have biases against ourselves, we're obviously going to have them against other women and we've got to deal with that too. Definitely. And there's another component of that which is there has been a a, a lot of 
research done into how women interact with one another in the workplace and how the relationships may not be as productive as should be because there's this belief of and, and sort of this mode of operating out of a place of scarcity. So yeah. if you're vying for a position on a board and there's only one or two spots for women, you're nat- naturally put in competition with the other women. And that is not does not is not really conducive for a very cooperative um, or positive environment. So there's this other idea of you know how could we sort of shift organizational thinking and institutional thinking into a, a more of a place of abundance. Mm-hmm. So rather than thinking about you know well we we want to have 50 percent women and 50 percent men on this board. Mm-hmm. I mean what if we had 80 percent women right. and 20 percent men on yeah. a board? I mean I, I just you don't really hear that mm-hmm. kind of conversation. But if we if we need to get over this fear yeah. that you know women may be in the majority mm-hmm. of leadership positions rather than just thinking about how can we make sure that they're in sort of the bare minimum or up to 50% because if we keep that as our way of thinking we're just going to keep in yeah. this place of scarcity rather than abundance. Well, and, and it's, it's also one of the reasons why. So this year at Champions of Change we're announcing our list, right? Because we feel like Companies will want to be known as a place that's, you know, providing innovative practices in the advancement of women. And if I'm a woman looking to work for an organization and I see an organization on that list, I know there's going to be opportunity for me and that they value women in that organization. And and I I always say to women, don't play the game. Don't go in environments where you are pegged against one another. That does it just doesn't work. It's like you know, maybe I'm one of the only ones in the world that really hates the show The Bachelor because I hate that they make all these women competitive with each other. I would be one of the ones on that show that's like, you can have him, you can have him because I don't like how they pit each women against each other. And I just think we need to step out if the environment's like that. It just doesn't work. And to be fair, they do have The Bachelorette that pits yeah. the men against <laughs> each know. other. It's true. Uh, yeah, it's it, true. It is quite entertaining yeah. for whatever it's worth. But tell me a little bit of like, what are you most excited about for the next six months um, or in the next 12 months, maybe? Yeah. So, you know, the next six months, I think the thing that I'm most excited about is that it feels like the Women's Chamber is in an incredible place of opportunity. We have amazing board members like yourself that are really bought into our mission and they're all there for the right reason. And as you said, we really want to put Colorado on the map. We want other states to look at us and say, wow, what are they doing in Colorado? So no longer are we almost the last state in the nation for number of women on publicly traded boards, but we're the fastest growing state in the nation for getting number of women on publicly traded boards. Our women-owned businesses are growing faster than any other in the nation. And I think that we really have the opportunity to do that. And I would say that that's really just come to fruition with some ideas of some incredibly brilliant board members. And I think, you know, for the next year, one of the things that I'm most excited about is our programs that are growing and implementing a really solid program to help women-owned businesses get over that $1 million mark in revenue. And we have an incredible leadership and mentorship program that continues to grow every day. And the idea behind that is to really patch up the leaky pipeline 
that corporations are facing. So women are dropping out of the workplace. And what we feel like we're doing is we're addressing, you know, both with emerging leaders and women that want to go into the C-suite next. We have programs that address both of those. And so I'm excited to see those grow. That's great. Well, thank you so much for the time. And thank you. We look forward to talking more as the months go on about what's going on with the chamber. Perfect. Thanks so much. And for more information on the Colorado Women's Chamber's Champions of Change event on November 7th, go to cwcc.org. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.